You are listening to the Bridge Community Church Podcast out of Warrington, Virginia. Our church exists to connect you to God, others, and the marketplace. For more information, you can visit us online at bridge4life.com. Thank you for listening, and we hope you are blessed by today's message. Hey, and it's great to see everybody here today. I feel like I got baptized today. Uh, I have learned, you know, one of the ministry experiences that you learn is on the day of baptism, wear dark blue jeans. They can never tell how wet your pant legs are. But, uh, man, it was awesome. And uh, I understand we finally got everybody a seat. We're all good. We do have a couple more folks looking for seats. So if you could, like, make one available or two available, they are... Okay, yeah, they're just, they're trying to figure this out, and uh, so much for ushering being an easy job, <laughs> but anyway, hey, I did say this first service, I'm not saying this because of the, what we see here today, I'm saying this genuinely because I did it in first, I say this, I, I sometimes tell my wife, we pull in here, and then in between services, I'll say, did you see the parking lot? And she already knows the routine. She'll say yes, but early on, she would say, no, what about? I said, every time I look out there, did you see the miracle? I said, all these people have options on a Sunday. This is not the only thing going on. It's not the only thing they could have done. And look where they chose to be. That is a miracle. And I say that to you today. I know you have options. I know you could do other things, but making the house of God a priority, can I, as a pastor, applaud you for that today? Because that is a vital thing to stay hungry, amen? Well, listen, we're going to continue on in the series called Psalms, Truths for Life, and we're working through a variety of psalms, and so we're going to look at Psalm 103 today. It is a passage of scripture, you, you say, Psalm 103, don't know what it says. Actually, as we read it, you'll see a lot of verses in there that you are familiar with, and you'll go, oh, I always wondered where that verse was located because I've heard people reference it, preachers speak about it. So we're going to go through this today. Psalm 103, would you stand for the reading of the word? It is a very long psalm, so we're only going to talk about or look at the, we're only going to read the first 12 verses today. So would you read with me? Let's begin. Praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns with you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Now, Holy Spirit, I pray as we study the word that it opens our minds and influences our hearts, our values, and our expressions of life. And more importantly, don't let it just fill our head. We pray, God, that we adopt those values of your word into our heart. 
In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. 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 The Lord bless you and be seated today. So as we were reading that text, you may have saw some familiar scriptures that you have referenced or other people have referenced. But what I want to do, as I always do, is provide a little bit of context surrounding this particular psalm and also some of the, I'll say, the choice words that David uh, used in this particular psalm. We know, that, we know that David wrote Psalm 103. We know that. But here's what we don't know. What we, what, while the psalm has a lot of rich insights, we don't know specifically the circumstances under which David wrote it. So many of the psalms... We're able to find out the background, like what was unfolding in David's life and what was happening. But this is one of those psalms. We don't get the details, but we kind of, you can kind of read it and get some indications about this because it's easy to see many of the events in David's life incorporated in this. And so I, I, many people believe that this was one of the psalms he may have written well into his years, like towards the later, as you look back, because you see some of the verbiage and things that he's saying, he's obviously experienced this. And we, I think many of you are aware of some of the circumstances that David went through in his life. And so this is sort of a, I call, end-of-life reflection. Uh, we don't, it's not a deathbed confession. It's not a deathbed experience. But David is up in years. He's experienced a variety of setbacks, tragedies, sin, and consequences and being restored and all these kinds of things in the psalm seems to indicate that he uh, wrote this after many of those experiences. Now, for those who are new, what we want to do is I want to set this up because I gave this a couple weeks ago. In the book of Psalms, it's actually five books. And if you go in there, you'll see in some of your headings it says book one and then a series of Psalms, book two. And so it parallels the Pentateuch, which is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And so this, what I have been doing in this series is we've been choosing a psalm from each one of those books, so to speak, inside a psalm. So today we're on book number four, Psalms 90 through 106. So you can see the emphasis is the desert and God's ways. And certainly this psalm talks a lot about God's ways. And we believe, like I said, it has reflecting on a lot of the experiences that David learned the hard way. How many know the desert is a place that you learn everything the hard way? Okay, that's, 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 it's a school of hard knocks. And so the points that I have today necessarily aren't takeaway points. They are points that set up the information inside of that particular verse. So, so note that the, the, the points aren't necessarily highlight points. They are giving us a direction about what that verse is speaking about. Now I'll unpack it. So everybody with me, let's read number one. Spirituality begins with, it begins with our interior world. No one could have written it better than this is David because he obviously understood when the interior world and a person's life falls apart, the exterior world soon follows. And David experienced that firsthand. But he also understood if he wanted to order his public life, if he wanted to order his external world, he better get his internal world correct. And we had uh, Pastor Ben spoke on Psalm 51, which is a great psalm of repentance where David understood, I got to get my own world in, in order. I need to get things right with God because everything around me is collapsing. And he says here, praise the Lord, my soul, all my own in my inmost being. Everything starts with our internal world. 
Everything we see that bleeds out of our life into the external world is a manifestation, an overflow of what's going on in the internal world. You go into the, the, the New Testament and you would be amazed. The number of scriptures that talk about the mind, be transformed by your mind, set your mind on things above, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. Why? It all begins with the story that I have playing in my brain. And if I can't get that story right, my external world is going to not be right. It all be, and listen, this is why some people need to go to counselors because something has happened in their life and they begin to tell their, themselves a story about that circumstance and it might be off, it might be confusing, it might be not totally accurate. Did you know that we can tell ourselves stories that aren't redeeming? We need to tell our story in such a way that there's an acknowledgement of what went wrong, but if you're not careful, you'll phrase the story in such a way you don't even think God can help you. And so it's important to go, yes, that happened, yes, that happened, but I also know what God can do, how God can, it's not talking about denying reality, it's understanding how God can play, things, play out things in my life. And so sometimes having a counselor can help a person to unpack all that and bring back the fact, what does God have to say about your circumstance? I've heard what you said. What does God say about your life? What does God say about the potentiality? So everything begins in, the inner, in our inmost being, that inner world. Secondly, everybody read this. Life makes it a challenge to remember God's benefits. He says this, and forget not all of his benefits. Why is that? We are forgetful people. We want, we're more interested in what you got for me today than what you did for me last year. We have a memory that, or a brain that functions in the immediate, in the now, and sometimes the pain of today can drown out the promises of yesterday. Sometimes the pain of today can take away the hope that we had yesterday. And let me just say, I understand pain. I get it. I understand you have to deal with it. You have to face it. But you cannot let it take your hope away. Hope is what keeps pain in a redemptive fashion. Pain without hope brings depression, anxiety, it's a trap, it's a prison that, you, that will take you down. It's important to keep hope alive. And he says, forget not all his benefits. God's done a lot for all of us. Did you know that the activity of God preceded your birth? It's easy to forget that because you weren't there and I wasn't there. But that's why we have the word to remind that I joined a momentum that God created before I was even conceived, before I was even born, God created an activity. And I have the ability to jump on board and be a part of it. But I don't need to act like, where are you, God? Listen, God's here. The problem is, is your pain is dry, drowning out your ability to see him. So what are these benefits that we can look at? I'm glad you asked that question. So... It's not much of a point, it's just really a heading so that I can begin to break down these verses. Read this with me. Significant benefits associated with being in relationship with God. And what I want you to see is this is in relationship with God. This is not something that you just get from, you know, I don't want anything to do with God, I just want his, I just want his stuff. No, God says when, 
your inmost being, praise his holy name. This is the benefits associated with having your inner life connected to him and reminding yourself that there's an activity that preceded you and it continues today. And God says, here are those benefits. And these are popular verses, but we're gonna, I'm gonna, can I just give you a heads up? I might be messing up some of your theology today. But I promise it'll come out better. Yeah. Who forgives all your sins, heals all your diseases. Man, that verse has been played over and over in church after church. I mean, if you grew up in church, you heard that verse repeatedly said, right? Who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. How many people over 40 have ever claimed number, verse number five? <laughs> oh, Jesus let it show up, you know. Well, you know, it's like, what is... What is that talking about? What does it look like when that happens or should happen? What am I? So we're going to break this down and look at it in, in very, very deep detail, okay? So let's, be, let's look at this verse. Who forgives all your sins? We're just going to start there. Most everybody in this room already has a conceived idea of what forgiveness is. And I will tell you this, that most of us have a, a mentality of forgiveness that is limiting compared to what God says forgiveness is. So what are we talking about? Because the great fear in forgiveness is, so what, am I not supp am I, uh, I'm supposed to just lay my soul bare? I'm, I'm not to, I'm supposed to, how do I forgive and not be taken advantage of? How do I forgive and build trust back and all these questions? So like when am I forgiving and I'm just being wise not to overexpose myself to somebody who has been wrong and continues in wrong and all these kinds of things? I'm glad you asked. We're going to talk about that today. So what's key here is this. I think everybody knows this, but I'll just remind you, the, whole, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. Let's look at the word. What, what is the word that he used in Hebrew? This is David, by the way, okay? He used the word, salak, which means this verb and its derivatives, the variations, occurs 50 times in the Old Testament. In every occurrence, God is doing the forgiving. This word never represents man forgiving. This is a God-type forgiveness, forgiveness. Everybody understand that? This is, this, is the, this is the big magnitude of the forgiveness. This is the big one where he says, I can wipe away everything as if you never did it. And so he actually expands on this a little further, but I want to give you this word as it relates into the New Testament because there are stories that you have read that you don't realize are connected to the verse that we read in Psalm 103. In, in Mark chapter 2 and in Luke chapter 5, there's a guy, he gets lowered down from the ceiling, remember that? And everybody's packed, you know, it was like a bridge 1.0 service, you know, it was packed and people <laughs> were the 2.0 version, of, you know, anyway. So anyway, so there's this pair, and, and Jesus says something. He says this, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees and Sadducees come unglued. You can't do that. Only God can. And Jesus says, well, this man will get up and walk. Well, those Pharisees and Sadducees were real confident. Ain't no way God's going back this play. And he got up and walked. And being such good people, they were convicted felt bad, became followers of Jesus. No, they're like anybody else who 
they just moved on to another topic. They just dismissed it because it didn't agree with what they'd already decided, so they just dismissed it. Now, what you need to be aware of, because when, they were, when Jesus says forgive and they said you can't forgive, there's the, the Greek word is, this is the Greek word for the Hebrew word that we had in Psalm 103. It was this God-type forgiveness. Jesus, according to the Pharisees and Sadducees, used the wrong word. He was supposed to use man's forgiveness. There is a man forgiven. He used God-type forgiveness, and he's like, you, you can't do that. You're blaspheming. You're, you're saying you're God, and you can grant a God-type forgiveness. No, you can't. Jesus said, all right, watch this guy get up and walk. Has everybody got me there? Okay. So this means to give up a debt, means to keep no longer. There's a, there's a song, he paid a debt that I did not, he, he did not owe, I owed a debt, I could not pay. How many remember that song? Okay, those are everybody over 45, okay. And uh, it's talking about, there, if, you had to make your, if you had to make restitution for all the sins that you did, you don't even have a long enough knife, life to make them all right. And then the other problem is, is you can't remember everything you did wrong. So... You just need somebody to wipe the slate clean. It's not that I'm not willing to make everything right. I just can't. I can't. It's, it's beyond. And some of those consequences are a part of life. I mean, I can't go undo life. Some of those are consequential things that happen in life. Now, why have I said all this? Okay. Because he actually expands on his God-type forgiveness in Psalm 103 in verses 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. So now you understand. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. And everybody said, amen. And repay us according to our iniquities. Thank you, Jesus. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, or so great is his love for those who fear him, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. How many know that definitely sounds like a God-type forgiveness? Okay? Like I said, then Jesus uses his word. Now, some of you are going, oh, but, you know, I can think here of a couple verses uh, in the New Testament, Pastor. How do you handle those? Because in Colossians 3, 13, it says, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. What you don't realize is, is he used a different word for forgiveness. It's called a charismo or charisme, which is graciously give, grant, bestow. This is giving somebody forgiveness who does not deserve it and has no hope of getting it right. They owe, they, they deserve what's happening and you just go, you know what? Let's just move on. I forgive. Let's just do that. That's, it's, it's, it's grace. Does everybody understand that? It's a gracious act. It's not reflective of the person receiving the forgiveness. It's a reflection of who you are. Forgiveness is not something that you grant because you think they deserve it. Forgiveness is something that you give because that's who you are. Ooh, sometimes we always want to make forgiveness about whether they deserve it or not. No, you forgive because that's who you are. 
So, now to mess up your theology that I, got, I helped you to see, there's two different words of forgiveness in the New Testament. There's a God-type forgiveness, and then there's this man's forgiveness. You would think that I'm ready to move on to the next point. Wrong. <laughs> Jesus had a drop-the-mic moment. How many know the Lord's Prayer? Our Father who art in heaven. And then he says, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are debtors. Right? He said, oh, well, that's that charisma. No. He now says, I want you to practice the God-type forgiveness. God, I was having a hard time with charisma. And he raised the bar. I want more forgiveness, he said. And you got to remember the Romans are occupying. The Romans are ravaging the nation. They're destroying it. This is written by Matthew, who was a tax collector, who was a traitor, who has now accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior and has, quote, unbetrayed his country, but now he's betrayed Rome, right? And so he's... He's actually offended both sides now. If there's anybody who needed God-type forgiveness, it's Matthew. Matthew did not change the word and get it wrong because we have other places where it's recorded and it was always this God-type forgiveness that we are called to practice. I told you I was going to mess you up. And we all thought we had this figured out. And God says, that bar is way higher than you think it is. This is why Jesus taught in John, they'll know we are Christians by our revenge. (laughs) I know it doesn't say that. But man, are there a lot of Christians who need to hear, who need to know they're Christians by their love. I'm going to say something I didn't say in the first service, and the only reason I didn't say it in the first service is because I just now thought of it. (laughs) I just believe in being transparent. Sometimes as Christians we pray, and we pray for revelation because we have somebody in our life that's making us miserable, and so we pray, God, reveal it, and what we're praying, listen to me, is destructive revelation. And God wants us to pray constructive revelation. Not go get them, God, expose them, show them for who they are. No, God, please reveal this in a way that they have a chance to repent. Please, God, reveal this in a way that their home's not destroyed. Please, God, reveal this in a way that people don't fall away. God, be merciful in how you do this. Don't just reveal. Because let me ask you this. What if God just decided to play all the cards on us? We would would all be in trouble, right? 
So you pray for constructive revelation, not destructive. Go, get him, God, show him who's boss. No, show him who Savior is. Show him there's still mercy and repentance and forgiveness today. And everybody said amen. amen. All right. So notice the debts. That which is legally due. So this is a forgiveness. You're owed. Nobody, and nobody disagrees. It's a legitimate debt. And you just go, we're good. But we're good. We're good. No debt. No payback. No expectation. We're good. I won't even ask you to say amen because I know that stretches all of us. Amen? Oh, yeah, come on. Yeah. All right. So, pastors can always tell when it's time to turn the page. <laughs> so then he goes on and says, and heals your diseases. This is a mending, a curing, a make whole. And he says this in relationship to diseases, which is a broad term for a variety of ailments. So this goes beyond physical ailments. This means that God can heal any part of my life, whether it be mental, emotional, spiritual, yeah, physical. He is a God who can bring wholeness back to my life. He's not a one-dimensional healing God. And sometimes we trap God into these, these thoughts that he has to touch me physically. God can heal a broken heart. God can heal a tormented mind. God can take away your anxiety. I so appreciated the testimony that you heard from one of the baptism candidates today talking about God has a way to help you with anxiety and depression. It's just not physical. God can touch wounds that nobody sees. Nobody. Then you go on, he says, who redeems your life from the pit. What's important here is this. There's no way out of the pit because you have no way to pay what needs to be paid to get out of the pit. You are in, we use this phrase, in over our heads. And it says here that he will redeem you. He'll pay the price to get you out of the pit. How many know if you're in a pit, you can't pay anything? There's nothing in the pit. You have to rely on somebody outside the pit to come and help you. And then he says, and crown you with love and compassion. This is key because you remember this is David. He's a king. Kings have crowns. What was the purpose of a crown? Let me take you back to their day. You do realize they did not have photographs. So there wasn't photographs to go, this is what King David looks like, this is what the priest looks like, this is what the generals look like. You didn't know what they looked like. The only way you could tell who they were was by what they wore. You saw a crown, you went, that's the king. You saw a particular outfit, it had been taught to you, you saw it on somebody, you went, oh, that's the priest. Another outfit, you'd go, oh, that's the general. Okay, it was important for them to dress in a particular way so that people would know who they are and have the right expectations when they were in the room and also not embarrass themselves. And notice what he says. He says, I'll change your identity and I'll change your worth. I'll give you a crown. People thought you were a prisoner. Well, I'll change that. 
I'll make you a prince or a princess. And I will give you worth and I will give you value. Because if you wear the crown, it changes how people treat you. Wow. God can up your value today. God can up who you are. God can change you in such a way that people are more appreciative of the activity that has come into your life. This is why it's important to recognize why he calls us who he does. He says we're his sons and his daughters. He doesn't call us grandsons, and he doesn't call us granddaughters. He says, you're my sons, you're my daughter. So God is saying, everybody has direct relationship to me. There's no intermediary here. There's no, you, you have a direct connection to me. That's why I say, your whole identity changes. Maybe you were a slave, now you're free. Now you were a victim, but now you're a victorious person. You were considered a tormentor, but now you're free from torment. He has a way of changing who you are and changing your worth and your value of how people see you. That's why we use the word redeems. There's a person who owes a mountain of debt. He says, no, because that's already been paid, so I guess you're going to have to call them something else. They're no longer the person who has a mountain of debt because it's been redeemed. So you see how that changes how people see you. Everybody with me? All right. Then you come to number five, or verse five, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Oh man, to have the youth of an eagle again. What are we talking about? This is interesting, because if you pulled back from this verse and just looked at it from more of a neutral standpoint, knowing that David wrote this, you would have expected him maybe to use a sheep. It was his favorite, one of his favorite animals. You would have expected him to make a reference to a lion. You would have expected him to make reference to a bear, right? I mean, because we all know the story. You're kind of like, yeah, where did the eagle come from? I've read a lot of stories about David, and I've never read a story that he had encountered an eagle. So where, like, why does he come up with using an eagle? Well, I'm glad you asked that question this morning. I'm going to answer that. Now, I know we have bird experts in the room. And with what I'm about to say, you're going to think, oh, pastor's into birds. No, I'm not. (laughs) I did enough research to know what I'm talking about this morning. Here's what I know about birds. I like chicken. (laughs) I I I love their eggs that they lay, and I love when they're fried. Okay, I'm just... Just being transparent. So, so if, you're a, you know, if you're a person who knows a lot of it, you say, Pastor, that was really good. Did you know? And I'm going to say, no, I did not know because I only did an amount of research associated with what I'm talking about today. Has everybody got that? All right, here we go. So eagles can live about 30, 40 years approximately. One of the interesting things about their life is this. As they are uh, in, in, in life doing what they do, they have a process that they call molting. See, that makes me sound like I'm a real expert, right? Just, just did the research, people. Molting is getting rid of the old feathers and growing new. Why is that so important? They actually do it on a yearly basis. By the way, this is really interesting. Did you know that when they lose a, a feather on their left wing, they have to lose one on the right because otherwise it disrupts their flight? Now, how cool is that that God knew that? He just said, hey, I just, we just need to put it in the DNA and the genetics here. You know, if they lose a, 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 a feather over here, they got to lose one over there. Otherwise, we got eagles just going in circles all the time. <laughs> okay? 
And you're like, you know, and when the people in evolution are like, wow, that is so uh, super, it's just so weird how evolution got that right. Yeah, you just keep telling yourself that. Just, you know, yeah. As the eagle was forming, he says, hey, let's balance out the lost of our feathers here. So anyway, so uh, the reason is, as life happens, their feathers get ruffled and they they, they get damaged a little bit because they do some serious speeds and you see some of the contacts they make. So in order to maintain their aerodynamic and their speed, it's important they get rid of these old feathers and get new ones. Otherwise, it, be, it creates a drag on their flight. So that's why sometimes you see a photo and, and, the, and the eagle's somewhat ruffled. Okay? It is entering probably into that molten time, molting time. It'll be shedding those feathers so that it can get back its sleek dives and everything that it does, okay? Are y'all starting to see the point here? We get ruffled. Our feathers get ruffled. And we need to be renewed like the eagles. There are some things in life that you just have to let go of. But did you see what they did to my feathers? Yeah, I did. And I'm telling you that if you don't shed those feathers, it's gonna disrupt your flight. And if you're not careful, you'll start going in circles. And God wants to get you back to soaring and God wants to get you back to where you were. And you're going to have to drop those feathers and let him grow some new ones. Those feathers just need to be dropped. Let it go. I told you I was messing with your theology today. Everybody wanted to hear how we could get our youthful step back. I'm telling you, he wants you to fly. But in order to fly, we have to let some feathers go that have been disrupted, yeah, by other people. It's been disrupted by life. You didn't do anything wrong. They did it. It was them. It was their circumstance. It was their fault. Let it go. or you won't be able to fly. You need the God-type forgiveness for that. I have one more point, but I'm not doing it. You know why? Because I think there's a presence in the room that's ready to start working in some people's lives. and so. I'm going to ask you musicians to make their way. I'm going to ask everybody to stand this morning. Would you do that? And as I wrap up the service, I could have easily put in this last point. Not often that I can say I think there's a holy moment in the room, but I do now. 
Jesus wants to give you your flight back. But it all starts, first of all, with this. I have to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I cannot extend forgiveness that I've not been the recipient of. And it's not my intent to do something here that would embarrass you or put you on the spot. So very simply, I'm just going to say, listen, in just a second, I'm going to lead in a prayer of salvation. And if in the middle of that prayer you say, I'm going to be asking Jesus into my life, Pastor, today. When, you, when you're praying, when you're leading us in prayer, I'm going to be asking Jesus into my life. I'm going to ask you to lift your hand up. Now listen, I'm just going to say, when I see your hand, I'll say, I see your hand. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I'm not going to do anything that points you out. I just want to know who Jesus is talking to. And you say, he's talking to me, and I'm going to be accepting Christ when you lead us in prayer. If that's you, can I see your hand? Yes, yep, 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 yep. My gosh, hands everywhere. Come on. See, I told you this was a holy moment, didn't I? And I don't mean that to self-justify. Anybody else? You say, I'm going to be asking Jesus into my life this morning. Come on, everybody together, out loud, say this. Dear Jesus, I am here today to take full responsibility for my life. I no longer blame anybody else. I am the sinner. And I cry out for your mercy. I cry out for your grace. And I cry out for your forgiveness. Come into my life and become my Lord and Savior. I receive you now. In Jesus' name. And everybody gave a shout of amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a clap. Hallelujah.